a good song? That was a great reminder, and I love it when we sing songs that we can hear on the radio on K-Love or Air One. Any of you guys listen to those stations or Family Life Radio? They play a lot of these songs, and I think it's a neat time to be, uh, to be able to be in church and have radio stations like that that can just reinforce that, that music throughout the week. So I hope that uh, maybe you find those stations if you don't have those already programmed into your car and uh, just keep singing these songs all week. So thanks to our band. I uh, really appreciate the work they do and, and put into that. Well, we're continuing our series, What on Earth Am I Here For? The fundamental question that I think we as human beings are obligated to ask, right? I mean, we're here, our heart's beating, got a pulse, you know, breath's coming in and out. What are we here for? And so these uh, weeks, we've been looking at this series based on the book, the best-selling book um, by Rick Warren called What on Earth Am I Here For? Formerly known as The Purpose Driven Life. And uh, this has blessed many, many people. And we are at least halfway through, right? We're just about there. What's today? Day 20 or something? Or 21? Yeah. So we're like halfway through. How many of you are, are with it? Give it by applause of hands. You're with it? You're with it? How many of you have fallen behind? All right. How many of you have never started? Don't raise your hand proudly. I want to encourage you today, it's not too late to keep going. I know it's really easy when you fall behind and you just want to say, you know what, I'm never going to catch up. Just go with where you're at. It's 40 days for you. And we talked about that God uses 40-day periods of time to prepare us for what he has. And so don't neglect um, getting caught up on these things. Almost every week as I go through that week of reading, there are a couple chapters that I think are worth the price of the book. And what I love about this, uh, this book is that it's just bathed in Scripture. And, and Rick uses over a thousand Scriptures to just really get us into God's Word and help us wrestle with the foundation. So we began by talking about purpose number one, and that is that you were created for God's pleasure. And sometimes, i got to admit, I hear some of these purposes, I'm ready for like one like, you were made to make a lot of money. Woo! Teach us about that. You were made to just have the most amazing relationships. Teach us about that. And sometimes I hear these and I go, that's one of my main purposes? Is I was created for God's pleasure? It almost seems anticlimactic. Anyone else with me? Yeah, all right. So, but we're students and we're learning and, and there's some great foundations. And the reason this purpose, what we talked about a couple weeks ago, is number one is because out of this, everything else flows. And this first purpose is kind of almost a passive one at some level because it's allowing God to love you. Let God love you. Because when we understand that God just simply wants to love you as his child and he created you to just enjoy you living and being the person he's created you to be, that allows us the freedom then to become who God made us be. And the first purpose is really a purpose of worship, which is this relationship. More than just this, this time that we spend here on Sundays, but a life that's lived in worship to God in relationship with Him. All right, then we moved on to purpose number two, and we talked about this last week, is that you were formed for God's family. You were formed for God's family. And if you didn't hear last week's message or any of the previous ones, please listen to them on iTunes or on our church uh, website or on a podcast. This is so important. We are not called to just be church attenders, but to be family members we talked about last week. What does it mean to be part of the family? God didn't put you on this earth and said, all right, now you be a human and figure it out. He put you into a family, and the way we become family members is through following Christ and obedience, surrendering our lives to Him, being baptized, becoming part of the family, And then God places us into church families, into smaller groups where we can really relate with one another. And if we are missing this purpose in our lives, trying to be lone rangers in the faith, you're sunk. I see it all the time. The the minute 
somebody starts missing Sunday morning worship and starts missing it consistently, spiritually, their lives start sliding. Anyone else witness that? Anyone else experience that? It happens all the time. It happens slow. You may not know it. But the vi- it's so vital to be in relationship with other believers that we are part of the body of Christ. Purpose number two. And then purpose number three is today. And this today is going to seem like probably the loftiest of all the goals that, that you may be prone to, to, turn, to turn this off and to shut down. But purpose number three, if you're reading along, and we began the next section today, and it's this. You were created to become like Christ. You were created to become like Christ. Now there's a scripture, 2 Corinthians 3.18, the second half says this, And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. So as God's Spirit is working inside of us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. So there's this process of becoming more and more like Christ. But maybe your reaction to this is kind of like, um, maybe the way I react to it when I think about it at first. You could have a couple of reactions. One, you might go, oh, it's a message about becoming Christ-like. Been there, done that, heard that, been in church for a long time, shut off. Okay, that could be one. Another one might seem to be like, become like Christ, oh, that just seems so incredibly lofty and intimidating, so difficult, I don't know, I, it just seems too hard, I, I don't know, it's just, I, give me something I can chew on. But maybe you're reacting like this and you go, become like Christ, I don't even want to become like Christ. Why would I want to become like Christ? See, in the church world, we think, yeah, we should become like Christ. But maybe you think, why would I want to be meek and mild? Why would I want to be somebody who, like, you know, just doesn't have a home, you know, wanders aimlessly around? You think about Jesus, right? And you kind of go, why would I want to be like Jesus? All his friends abandoned him. They betrayed him. Do you remember Jesus? He was crucified and nailed to a cross. Woohoo! I'm created for that. You guys don't. Yeah, you guys get it, right? <laughs> no, I mean, this is sometimes the tension that we're in, I think, is like, all right, we're supposed to be Christ-like, but if we really think about that, what does that mean? Now, we have to be clear, it doesn't say that we are to become Christ or that we are to become God. We are to become Christ-like, like Christ. We are supposed to be, not be God, but to become God-like, to take on those attributes, to learn. Jesus Christ was the perfect human being. He was what creation can aspire to be, what, the, what people can become if they are living fully surrendered to God and in their life and their heart is completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit. We see what, what can be in Christ. So he is that example for us. And, and so our goal is to discover that for ourselves. Who has God made me to be and how can I become more fully human who God created me to be and in so doing becoming Christ-like? Now, um, God is changing us. Now, there's, a, there's another passage that's one of my favorite, and it's John 10.10, 10, and it's this. And, and Jesus is talking, and he says, A thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, But I have come to give you life to the what? Anyone know? Life to the fullest. Thank you, JJ. All right, the rest of you need to read your Bible more. All right, <laughs> to bring you life to the fullest. And because what Jesus is saying, look, there's a, there's a path that when we follow Satan, when we follow the evil desires in our heart, he's going to steal it, he's going to kill it, he's going to rob life from us. But following Christ's life is the fullest life we can have. And don't you want that? I want that. Do you want that? Come on, you with me? All right, you want that. All right, then there's another um, passage in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23, well-known passage called the fruits of the Spirit. And what that basically is saying is, look, 
When God is in you, He transforms you. He changes you. So one of our purposes in becoming like Christ is to be transformed and to be changed. And what is the fruit of that transformation? And Paul writes, he says, the fruit of the Spirit, of God's Spirit working in you, is love, joy, peace. You'll become a person of patience, kindness, faithfulness. You'll be a person of of gentleness. You'll be somebody who has the fruit of self-control in your life. And so this is a picture for us of, of what we can become. And when I put these, these three verses together, that we become more and more like Christ, living life to the fullest, that, that our, our, our life embodies the fruit of the Spirit, I have a tough question to ask. And that's this. is Can anyone notice God transforming you? That's the hard question. And I have to ask myself, does anyone notice that God is transforming me? If walking with Christ and His Spirit is in us, is making us more and more like Christ than somebody who hasn't seen me in a while. We've got our friend Susan here who was in our student ministry back in Indiana and now she globetrots the world working for the State uh, Department. Is that right? State Department. I want to make sure I get that right. And, um, and so she's visiting here. We haven't seen each other for about eight years. And the question, if she spent a little more time with us, would say, is there any evidence in my life that Christ is more, I'm becoming more and more like Christ, that there's something tra- changing in me? Is there more fullness in my life? I step back and sometimes go, why am I so stressed? Or, or why am I down on things? Or why do I worry about stuff? I'm supposed to be a follower of Christ and I'm supposed to have life to the fullest. I should be the living example of what full life is all about. Shouldn't we? And so there's a process there and I know we haven't reached it yet, but that's what God wants to work in us. And I look at the fruit of the Spirit. Is my life ripening in these areas? You know, as time passes, am I becoming more patient or more agitated? Am I becoming more loving or am I just more bitter? Am I more patient or am I more faithful? Am I more self-controlled? Am I more gentle? See, God's Spirit works that change in us. And so when we become more and more like Christ, it's this evidence of God's Spirit in our lives. And so this morning, I want to talk about how that happens and how we need to approach this, uh, this going on in our lives. So are you ready to kind of dive into this process of Becoming Christ-like? Because if not, I'm just going to go home. Wouldn't that be awesome? I should just go, you guys aren't ready for this. I'm leaving. Um, all right, we're here. You guys showed up. That, I think that says it all this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, dive into your word and as we dive into your thoughts and, and just your spirit, God, may um, you just move in us and encourage us this morning to be about this journey of transformation and following you. God, we, we want to know what it means to become more and more like you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't like running. <laughs> I got more amens off of that than I did anything else so far. All right. <laughs> I don't like running. Now, I do run about two, three times a week, usually about a mile, a mile and a half. No applause for that. Yeah, it's not worth applauding. It really isn't that much. It's enough to make my heart rate go really, really crazy, and then, um, and then I'd usually do my workout. But I, I just really don't like running, and... If you've been around, any of you guys runners? Who, who's like a runner or has been a runner? All right, there's this thing, there's this thing called the runner's high. Have you heard of it? Like if you're, the runner's high apparently, apparently, which means I speak of no experience, apparently you, you get this euphoric sense that your body is just, in, you know, it's just fluid, your movement is there, you seem like you have energy, you're not hard, like breathing, and, and you just seem like you can just go and go and go. Anyone ever had runner's high, actually? Okay. 
I have never experienced runner's high because I can never get past the runner's low. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, the runner's low? <laughs> right? I mean, like, you feel like you're about to cough up a lung. There's like saliva that just uncontrollably drips from your mouth. And you just can't, you just can't seem to, to get past it. And you're going, I'm never going to get to that high because this low is just incredibly, incredibly too, too difficult to get through. And so we just seem to never be able to break through to some of those amazing experiences that other people seem to have. Now, you put a soccer ball in front of me, and I'll chase that thing for hours. I don't know what it is. There's something about just running mindlessly that, 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 that gets difficult. But, um, but I, don't, I especially don't understand long-distance runners, right? Because this, this is that, that reaching that point, or marathoners. And this morning, actually, one of my good friends, um, Eric, he's in Michigan, and he's running his first marathon today. And, uh, and what's interesting is he didn't even run, he didn't start running until like a year ago. And so he, he, there's this video that was online that they were filming about him entering this, uh, this marathon. And I think he said he's logged 1,250 miles, something like that, this, in, this year. Isn't that crazy? I was like, he could have jogged to our house just, just about. And, uh, and so he, he's running, and he's, he's just trimmed down. He's lost like a small Fiat. He's, like, he's just really losing a lot of weight. And he just talks about what it feels like to run and to have that, to have that freedom. And this morning, he's going to run his first full marathon, and he's going to reach the finish line. And he's going to have this amazing story to say, look, this is where I began, and this is where I ended, and, and it took a lot. And, and think about all the excuses you could have if you're a runner trying to run long distance and you live in Michigan. Think about January and February, right? Every reason not to go and to come up with excuses, to find reasons not to, but he's persevering, and he's making it through to, to finish. Now, this isn't a talk today about running, right? But it is a talk about a marathon. We're talking about one of our life purposes, about God transforming us into who he has created to be, us to be. And it really is a marathon. It's a long-distance run. Somebody who said it's long obedience in the same direction. And I think we're filled, most Christians are short-distance runners. Anyone? Short-distance runners. We're like the kind of runners that, that, that our, our idea of a short-distance run or a lap is like going from the couch to the refrigerator, back to the couch to the refrigerator, right? I mean, like I run, those, are, those are laps, too, and that's running. But, but at these small little efforts, these small little spurts, they don't really get us to the point where we need to be. And, and I think over the years I've seen so many that, that want to start the race with Christ. And they get baptized, right? They believe, and they get baptized, and they get excited, and they start this journey. And I look back and go, where are they now? They've, they've left the faith. They've walked away. They're pursuing other endeavors. Maybe they've just seemed like they've pushed pause. Maybe you've been there. I mean, this is, this, is, this is people who have served in all kinds of capacities, whether they've been missionaries or pastors included. And you kind of wonder, what does it take? How can it be so difficult to run the entire life and to end the race? And, and Paul, in, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, he says this, He's writing now, in 2 Timothy, he's writing to his young protege, Timothy, who he's raising and mentoring in the faith. And he says this, The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. Wouldn't that be awesome to have that on your like tombstone? I mean, to aspire to that as a follower of Christ, to be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I have remained faithful faithful. So you can't say that if you just finish a sprint. This is a lifetime of obedience. And so becoming like Christ, it's this incredibly long journey. And even Paul recognizes this isn't a cakewalk. 
Otherwise, he wouldn't say, I fought the good fight. He's saying it's a fight. It's a battle to remain faithful. It's a battle to continue to walk with Christ. But this is the goal. And so becoming like Christ takes a lot of time. And we need to think in terms of crockpots, not microwaves, right? We need to think in terms of giant redwoods and not dandelions. We've got to think in terms of marathon and not a sprint. And when we begin to wrap our minds along this process, we start realizing, okay, I have to think about this long term in my life. And how do I get there? And how does God begin to transform me? So let's talk about what this this marathon looks like and why it takes so long. At the heart of at the heart of this marathon, at the heart of this becoming like Christ, is nothing nothing other than character development. So what I want to talk today is about developing our character. When Christ is trying to transform us into the likeness of his son, he's trying to change our character, not our personality. He's not trying to change like who your how your wiring is as your personality. What he's trying to do, he's trying to change your character at the at the heart of who you are. And and this process of transformation takes a lot of time. Now, when we think about following Christ and obeying him, we often get tr- sidetracked into questions like this. We ask circumstantial questions. We ask the what, the when, and the where. Right? If you think about God's will and God's plan for your life, and you say, God, I want to follow you, I want to obey you, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to do it? When do you want me to do it? But I think we're asking fundamentally the wrong questions. Those aren't bad questions when we ask the other ones. And the other ones are, who do you want me to be? Why do you want me to be or do the things that I do? How do you want me to go about doing those things? See, and that grows out of our character. And if we're only focused on our behavior and actions and not what's really driving us and what's really transforming us and what's, what's at the core of us, we're not going to become more and more like Christ. So this is about character development and, and changing us from the inside. And I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Who really under, when you think about the character, you, yes, we know the story, what happened to him, and, and maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. Um, you know, he, he was abandoned by his family, his brothers sold him into slavery, and he, he uh, you know, when, when he moved to, when he was sold into slavery in Egypt, he began to rise up the ranks as a servant in some, you know, in, a, in an official's household, and then he was betrayed and, and was wrongly accused and thrown into prison, and then he rose again to, to great leadership. What we see in Joseph, though, is that the who was intact. Who Joseph was and his character was intact, and in that wherever he was, he understood he was serving God. He understood faithfulness to his God. And it was that character that, regardless of the circumstances, allowed him to thrive. And I think the character development in us is not just about our behaviors and actions, but about our character first. And then our behaviors and actions will show what that means. Now, a definition of character is, here's how I would define it. So as you respond to life around you, we all respond to life every day, right? You go to work, you go to school, you're with family. So how you respond to life, character is how I consistently and predictably live out my deep-seated values. It's how I consistently and predictably live out my deep-seated values. So basically, you put me in a different situation, and if you know me and you know my character, you would say, Mark behaves this way. He'll respond this way. If you gave a case study or hypothetical, you say, what would Mark do in this situation? If you knew me well enough and my character was consistent, you would say, this is how Mark's going to respond. He's going to be faithful, or he's going to be trustworthy, or he's going to screw up, <laughs> or he's going to lie, or whatever. If you know me in some ways, you, you might say in a person, what's their character? And so by consistently doing that, this is how we know um, who we've become. And so God is all about wanting to shape that character in us. 
I used to have this, uh, you know those like um, motivational like picture frames that used to be popular like in the 90s? You know, like they would have like a rowing team or something like that. I had one that, that, that I had hanging in my office that said, character is who you are when nobody's watching. Have you heard of that one before? Character is who you are when nobody's watching. That haunts me sometimes in a good way. <laughs> it's a good reminder because when nobody's around, then, then I really become in touch with my own motivations. With my own struggle, I get very close because I'm not doing something for anyone. I'm not trying to impress somebody. I'm not trying to fake something. And so character, again, really gets at the heart of who we are. And so who are you when the lights are off, when nobody's around, when you're not trying to impress anyone, when no one's looking after you? Who are you when you do your taxes? <laughs> right? Let's just put it real practical. When, when you're not, you know, when you're just kind of, hmm, what do I do? How do I report these things? So this process is a slow process, though. How do we get to that point? And, and in Scripture, the, the, this process is a process that the Holy Spirit change, changes us. In theological terms, say the word sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy. We don't, we don't become followers of Christ and instantly we're all good. Now, Christ's blood covers all of that. His sacrifice covers all of our sin. But now begins the process. Now begins the work of transformation. And it's, it's Christ's work in us, and it's allowing myself to yield more and more of my life, yield more and more of that over to Christ. And so what has to happen in the beginning is, is that this process has to change from the inside out, right? And so what we really need when we, we begin is a heart transplant. Now, I think most of us by default, when we, well, all of us, I think, when, we're, when we are born and, and, and just kind of live life apart from Christ, we, be, we, we are born with me at the center, I think that's just normal. We're, me is at the center. I mean, that's all we know how to, how to live. I mean, I live my life and I, I see through these eyes that are attached to my brain and everything that happens happens to me. I'm at the center of my life. And so I think by default, we all kind of live our life with me at the center. And then we begin and, we, and then we look outward and even as kids, right away, who, who's there to serve you? Your parents. <laughs> as kids, we go, my parents are here. I need this. I need that. Help me. And we begin to maybe get in this understanding that other people are here to help me write my story and to live out my narrative. And then if we continue with this mindset and we add God into the equation and faith, well, then God is there to just bless all that. God is there to make that all better and all work more, more cohesively and for, to make everything better. That's, that's the equation. But it doesn't work that way. And, and what, what Scripture teaches us, and we think of passages like Mark chapter 8 where it talks about laying down your life, and he says, if you want to be my follower, you've got to set aside your selfish ambitions. Lay down your life and come follow me. And he's saying, um, you've got to have a heart transplant. I mean, your whole focus, if your character is going to change, you've got to start right at the core, and that's when it begins with the relationship with Christ, is we replace the center with God. And all of a sudden, it's about God, and it's about God's Spirit in me, and others now, I'm there to serve others, not them to serve me. And God is here to help me serve others and help me to become the person He's created me to be. I'm part of His story. He's not a part just to try to make my story better. But I find my life and my fullness in Him. And so part of this character development has to be a complete transformation of how we view the world around us. And then it begins to change. We have to transform our thinking. right? The renewing of our mind. That's how character development happens. Because when you're faced with any situation, think of a thousand situations in your day. At work, with kids, at home, we're faced with decisions all day long, all the time. And we have to have a lens in which we process those decisions, and our character becomes that lens. Now, now Rick Warren uh, points out four of the most common ways 
that we have a foundation for our thinking, the, the, the way the society and, and, and the way we typically do this. And one is this. The, the, one, um, the, the kind of authority that many people have is culture. If your authority is culture, you view decisions that you make through the lens of, well, what's everybody doing? And we're all kind of prone to that at some level because we live in a culture and society that has different norms and standards. So if culture is your foundation, you say, well, everybody else is doing it, so it must be right. It must be good. It's what, our, it's what our Americans do. It's what people in Santan Valley do. It's what people in my office do. You get your bearings off of culture and what people around you are doing. The second way, or another way, is tradition. Right? The simple thing is, we've always done it that way. It's always been done that way. My dad did it that way. My grandpa did it that way. Or I've just done it that way, and so I don't think about why I do anymore what I do. It's just the way it is. And so tradition just guides me, and my character and my response to situations flows out of that. The other one, another one is, uh, is, is intellectual, is rationalizing. And this is the one where you just have good logic, and you think through, and, and, and you're somebody who goes, I want to find the smartest, best answer to what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And so you think, okay, if A is greater than B and B is greater than C, then A must be greater than C. Now, for those of you who just glossed over it, this is not your problem. <laughs> if, if you didn't follow that, that's okay. That's not how you're wired. But the rest of us go, A must always be greater than C, and so I have my answer. And, and so we're confident in that logic and that rationing. On the other side of the coin is those of us who, who process emotionally. <laughs> Those of us who are intellectually wired or, or rationally wired do not understand the emotional wiring. And the emotional wiring is simply, I like it. It feels good. I want to do it. It makes me happy. And, and if you've ever had one of these in changes, if you're, I'm more wired on the rational thinking side, and, so, and, and my wife's more on the emotional side. And if you ever have a conversation where I'll go through, I'm like, hun, this decision makes more sense because it saves us money, it saves us time, there's less effort involved. It's just going to be longer lasting. It's going to make, you know, be a, just a, a much better. This is the best decision for us. And she may go, but I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that. I don't. It doesn't, you know, and so you, you can just kind of see that wiring. And so this, these are the lenses with which we can approach life, culture, tradition, intellectual, emotional. And the problem with all of these, though, is they change. From situation to situation, from person to person. There's no stability. There's no anchor there. And so your character can't be rooted in anything. And so as Rick Warren talks about in one of these chapters, he says we need to settle the matter of what will be the authority in your life. You need to settle the matter of what will be the authority in your life. If your character is going to develop and how you respond to situations, what's going to be the authority? It's got to be God's truth. It's got to be God. I mean, this is the unchangeable, the, the rock, the bedrock in which we can, we can begin to, to process, and it's outside of ourselves. And so when we get that piece right, remember we put Christ in the center, and things begin to flow out of that, we begin to look at life in different situations. And so now we, we come, now we're faced in life with decision after decision, and, and there's two chapters in this next section that, again, I think are worth the price of the book, and they're, on, um, they're about temptation. I know this is not an in, a chapter that probably really interests anyone, but if you're like me, it's an interesting chapter and temptation and how you deal with it. And, and here's the thing, because those two are very related. Temptation and character development are very related. And, and a lot of us tend to think of temptation in this idea of like, just want to avoid it, just don't mess up, don't screw up, or I, I, I gave in to temptation and now I screwed up and, and, and now I just blew 
just blew up everything I was working towards. And we just have this tension with temptation. What these chapters remind us, and I love the way he puts this, is basically temptation is an opportunity for God to develop your character. A temptation is an opportunity for God to develop your character. And, and what he says, what we're, what we're usually tempted with are things that are opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. Right, we're, we're, never, it's never, we're never tempted to love somebody who's very lovable. That's not a temptation, right? That's easy, and your character doesn't get shaped by loving somebody who loves you back and who's very lovable. There's no character formation in that. But where your character gets shaped is when the temptation or the challenge comes to love somebody who's unlovable, where the temptation is to walk away, to ignore, to do mean things, whatever it is, and you're now confronted with, the, with that challenge. And it's in those times that your character is shaped and how we respond and how we look at now what is the lens in which I evaluate the situation. Let, let's look at a practical example, um, looking at these four different ways to have as your foundation versus God's Word. Let's look at the issue of um, illegally downloading music, movies, or software. Okay? So here's this, here's this thing that's prevalent in society that doesn't affect anyone in here. So I just picked an example that you know, none of you have ever dealt with or wrestled with. And, um, and so we've got this idea out there. And so now you have this opportunity. There's a song that you really want to have on your phone or a movie that you really want to download. So if you think culturally, if that's your lens, you go through and you say, okay, well, it's fine. Every, I mean, it's done millions and millions of times. Every day all throughout our society, my friends are doing it. I mean, people at work are doing it. I mean, I'll be like one of the only ones that doesn't do it, so I'm actually really disadvantaged. Though everybody's doing it, I have no problem doing this. That's how you view it culturally. Traditionally, you might just say, well, I've always done that. I've been downloading music since I've been 12, and I've never had a problem with that, and nobody's ever stopped me for that. It's just the way I get my music, and so I just, I just do it that way. Or my dad downloads music like that, or whatever. Traditionally, you just make that decision. Rationally, this is great. Intellectually, right? You think through like, well... It's not really stealing because it's out there anyway. Those guys are making so much money. I mean, they're not going to miss anything about that money. And actually, I'm actually promoting them. If I listen to that music, they'll probably make more money off of that. And whatever your rationale is, you intellectually come to a conclusion that says, it's really not a problem for me to do this. Emotionally, I just love that song. <laughs> I just want it. <laughs> I don't care if it's wrong or right. Whatever someone says, I want that song. And when it's in my phone I get to listen to it, that's awesome. Or... <laughs> You look back through God's Word and you say, all right, what really factors into this? Is this theft? <laughs> is this stealing something that isn't mine? And, and does it matter what other people think? Does it matter what other people do? Does it matter what I feel? Does it matter how rational my argument is? And that's why being rooted and having our character rooted in something other than these things I talked about and have it rooted in Christ begins to give us the lens in which we begin to make these decisions. And it's just this long journey over time that gets developed. Character develops daily, not in one day. Character develops daily, not in one day. You see, it takes work and it takes effort. You know, when you're, when you're kids, and, and, and right now we get to help our kids, we want to develop character in our kids. Now, it's really easy as a parent just to try to get them to make the right decision or not to do wrong. But what's more important and what's more challenging is to parent them in their character. Why are you making these decisions? What kind of character does God want to develop in you? And, and so as parents, we come alongside and we help them make the decisions. And no, don't do that. Don't touch that. Go this direction. Encourage them. 
But what happens when we're out of the house? Now that we're adults, where does character formation come from? We've got to allow God's Spirit in us to continue to work in us, to continue to develop us, to keep listening to what He's saying, to become more and more Christ-like. And it's just a long journey. It's a long process. And we're going to screw up. Chris, you know, he welcomed us all to this, uh, you know, meeting of Screw Ups Anonymous, right? I mean, this is, this is a part of life. This is not perfection. Paul says in, in Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14. Let's turn there. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. It's on page 914. Paul, I mean, this guy has got it together, right? I mean, he's writing the New Testament. He's planting churches. He's doing missionary work all over the area. He's writing these letters. Here's Paul. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. He hasn't. He says, but I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, I'm still not all I should be. But I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us up to heaven. This is not just something that passively happens to us. We don't just kind of go, okay, God, transform me. He says, I strain forward. I'm going to forget what's behind me. I'm going to forget where I screwed up, what I messed up, what is wrong. I'm going to reach forward. I want to be all that Christ created me to be. I want to reach the end. I want to get to that finish line. I want to make it. So I got a question for you. Is let's pick, let's, let's pick, have a picture of a race in our mind. Okay? Let's picture this idea of a, it's, a, it's a marathon, a long, long race. And it's got like a one-mile loop, and you just got to run it for a long, a long time. And so, I want you to find yourself in this picture. So in this picture, we've got a scene. We've got some people in the stands, some that are cheering, some that are, some that are you know, heckling. And um, it's just kind of picture of you know, a stadium, maybe in that sense. And, and so, who are you? Maybe in this race, and again, we're going to draw this spiritual analogy. So who are you? What kind of runner are you? Or where are you in the spiritual marathon of your life? In this process of becoming like Christ. Some of us are just sitting in the stands, right? I mean, some of us are maybe even here today. We're observing. We're not sure if I want to get into this race. We see some of the other races out there, and, and somehow we're in the rat race over here, and we think, you know, it's getting us somewhere, but I, I'm not sure, and you're, we're observing this, this other race of faith. And, and so the question is, maybe you're just on the sideline, and you're not sure if you want to get in the race. Maybe you're, 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 you're close, and you're kind of getting into the starting blocks. You know, I don't know if you've ever raced. I, I was a, in junior high. I, I ran track for a glorious two years. Um, that was not glorious two years, but I ran. You know, and I remember it's like you get in the starting blocks or, or you feel that and you're, you're in that, that position and, and you think, I'm going to do this. And your heart's racing and, and you're not sure, am I going to go? When that gun goes, am I going to follow? Am I going to jump in? Am I going to become a follower of Christ? Gun goes off, right? The invitation comes. The call comes. You feel God's spirit in you and you, you leap up. And maybe you say, maybe you're ready to make that decision. You say, I'm there. I want to be a part of that. I want to be part of this journey of becoming whatever God has called me to become more and more like Him. Maybe you're stuck in the starting blocks. You've gotten so close time and time again. But somehow you're, you're just not sure. You're just not sure. Well, let's say you're running. And, and a lot of us are really good. Like most people, when we first start running, 
That's easy, right? That's why we said we're like a lot of us are short distance runners. It's easy. And maybe you start your, your walk in the faith and, and, and you became a follower of Christ and you're getting baptized and you've been baptized and you go, my life is transformed. I'm feeling renewed. I'm feeling refreshed and energized. And this is awesome. And we celebrate with you. We're excited with you. But maybe you're starting around one of those first corners and you're starting to go, oh, I'm feeling a little winded. I've got some side stitches. Uh, just not feeling so good. This isn't really as easy as I thought. And this is, this, is kind of, this is running. I mean, maybe it's not all that exciting. I'm just kind of running now and kind of hitting that mundane, you know, and that initial euphoria is missing. Maybe you kind of tri- tripped along the way. You stubbed your toe. You rolled an ankle. You fell down. You scraped up. You're injured in some way. And so now you're, now you're just kind of hopping along. You're dragging a leg, and maybe you're still trying to make it. Maybe you've dragged yourself off the sideline. And you decided to say, you know what, I'm just going to take a break from this race, or I've I got to get, I'm done, I'm out of this race. Check me out. It's too hard. I can't do it. I want to be part of these other races going on. I, I'm not going to do it. Maybe, you know, you've been going for a while, and you pulled yourself back up, and you've got some, you know, some injuries, but you're making it, you're going along, you're saying, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And as, you're, as you observe all these different people on the track, then you see this other group. There's a whole group of them together. They're a small group. <laughs> They're a group of friends. They're a group of people serving together. Maybe they're the band together, right? Or, or the tech team. Or maybe it's the host team. And, and they're walking together. And they're going, hey, I'm not running anymore. I know this is a long thing. So we're just, we're just going to keep pace. We're just going to walk. But we're going to walk together. And we're going to have conversation. And, and how you doing? Let me help you. you know, and, you're, and you're helping each other out. And then you keep you know, going along. And, and all of a sudden, you're, you're getting laughed by somebody that's running. You know, this, this, this couple that's running kind of slow. And it's Doug and Ann Hartley. Right? And, and uh, you know, and then there's Tim and Edith Gunther, and Tim's kind of, the don't clump, the don't clump, you know. He's, he's got that, 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 that amputated foot, and it's just not going as fast. But he's just like, come on, come on, you can do it. I've been running this race for a really long, really, really, really long time. Wrong time. And, uh, but you can do it. You can do it. Let me, I'm going to slow down a little for you young guys, all right, you young ladies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with you for a little bit. I've been around this bend a few times. Oh, I tripped on that one too. <laughs> yeah, I got the same bruise right here, but mine's kind of healed up, you know. But come on, let me, let me just walk you around a few times. And maybe we've said goodbye to some folks that have gone before us. And we go, man, they've been faithful. And they modeled for us what it looked like. And we celebrate that. And they're the ones on another <laughs> cheering stand, cheering us on. And, and Hebrews talks about that in the great chapter of faith in 11 and 12. And we're going to be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that is cheering us on, saying, you can do it. I've done it. We've been there. Which one of these are you? One, we are one of those people. We're one of them. Now, the, the question is, how does, how does God view you in this process? You know, we're all at different places. We're all at different stages. And I think we sometimes think that unless we're just like, when did I'm running? This is what God loves. God loves this kind of follower. What's up? <laughs> Reading my word. I'm, a, I'm listening to Christian music. Yeah, I got my iBible, you know. Just easy, man. Just easy, no problem. We think that's what, and if I'm not doing that, God's not pleased with me. And you're over in the corner, you know, you're bruised up, you're scraped up, you're not even sure you're in this race. And we begin to feel shame. We think we failed. If you've ever gone to a race and you're watching somebody that you love, your parent, it's one of your kids, and they fall down, what do you do? 
You idiot! Can't believe you! No, you... Come on! You can do it! Come on! Get up! You can do it! I'm with you! We're here for you! Come on, let's get you bandaged up and get back in that race or let me comfort you or whatever. I'm going to run with you. God is cheering you on. And He doesn't expect more from you than where you're at in your walk of faith right now. I mean, it's cumulative. We're building. Character gets formed and gets developed. You know, you don't expect a, you know, you don't expect a 10-year-old to be able to, to balance a checkbook, right? I mean, it comes, it comes in time. You don't yell at a one-year-old for not being able to, how to talk. Da, da, da. What's that? You know? A parent goes, da. I think that means dad. You know, we get so excited, we don't scold them for the level of their journey and, and where they're at in their faith. And so this, 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 this becoming Christ-like is this process. And I want you to know that regardless of where you're at, God is cheering you on. <laughs> Get up. You can do it. Way to go. Do another lap. Join up with some others that are running with you. Hey, try to catch up to those Gunthers. <laughs> you know, they're passing you. He's laughing you again. <laughs> you're right. He's cheering you on. And so God is there at the finish line, not like this guy. I mean, we've pictured God like this. Let's see if you can get it all right. And when you cross that finish line, we'll see. I'll, I'll evaluate if you're good enough. That's the picture we have of God. No, he's like that dad in the, the, the story of the prodigal son who runs toward his son saying, come home. And when we think about God the Father cheering us on, think about Jesus, right? God the Son, he's coming alongside of you and going, I've, I've gone down this road. I know what you're dealing with. I've struggled with those things. And by the way, I've won the race. This isn't about you trying to win the race, trying to beat anyone else to the finish line. I've already won the race. Your job is to get to the finish line. And I want to help you. I'm going to come alongside of you. And you've got God the Holy Spirit in you who's saying, don't listen to those doubts. Don't listen to those negative thoughts. Don't give up. Don't give in to that temptation. You can do it. There's power and there's strength and there's energy. Get up again and keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I've got you powered. Come on. I've got you. We are called to become like Christ. It's a long journey. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. But we've got to keep going. And watch God transform us, changing that character, developing that in us to become the people He's created us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for this place and this time. I know when we come here just week in, week out, God, those are little, just little opportunities to keep growing. But Father, may it be more than just Sunday mornings. May we get into Your Word throughout the week. May we listen to Your Spirit. May we be there for each other to help each other along this long obedience in the same direction. Father, we celebrate those that are just starting their journey of faith. We're so excited about what you're going to do in their lives. And we know there's going to be challenges and painful times and moments where they fall and maybe even go backwards for a bit. But God, we're, we're there and we're going to continue to cheer. And we, God, we celebrate those that have, are showing us what it means to follow you. And Father, we, those that are on the sidelines, God, I just pray that they would be drawn in and invited in by us to say, come on, let's be a part of this together. Let's follow Christ as one. Thank you for loving us and encouraging us each step of the way. We love you, Lord. Amen.